I will not talk! Remain seated. Your vehicle is rotating backwards for your return. To grab some shell and surf the EAC with me. Go with the flow. It doesn't. Cinderella Castle, which has been magically transformed into an unbelievable anniversary convection. <laughs> Tomorrowland Transit Authority Metroliner non-stop, now departing Rocket Tower Plaza Station for a round-trip WDW Radio Show Tour. Welcome aboard, TTA travelers. We hope you enjoy Tomorrowland Transit Authority's Super Skyway. Now approaching WDW Radio Show. The WDW Radio Show is host to a galaxy of segments and information about Walt Disney World. The WDW Radio Retro Historical Society presents Lou Mangiello's WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. This show represents what Lou believes to be the perfect community in which to work, live, and play. W. Hello, welcome back, and thank you for tuning in once again to the WDW Radio Show. This is show number 10 for April 15th, 2007. I'm your host, Lou Mangiello, and this week's show is going to start off with some news and views from Walt Disney World, including exciting news coming out of Epcot as the planned reimagining of Spaceship Earth is about to begin. I'm going to talk to you not only about what's to come, but some of the changes up through Spaceship Earth throughout the years. Mike Scopa is going to come on to talk about another best of the best at Walt Disney World, which is going to lead directly into my next special guest and topic. Steve Tiki Man Seifert is going to join me in talking about the history of Disney's Polynesian Resort, its changes over time, vacationing there now, and all that it has to offer, as well as some of its hidden secrets and treasures that even the most seasoned veteran might overlook. Jeff Pepper and I are going to take a trip aboard my Walt Disney World Wayback Machine to visit the Epcot that never was as we explore pavilions and attractions that were planned for Epcot Center yet never came to be, as well as why we still don't see them today. I'm going to reveal the answers and announce the winner in our first Where in the World Have You Heard This contest, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. WDW Radio Show News and Views Report Live from the WDW Radio Studios in Scotch Plains, New Jersey The big news out of Walt Disney World this week is that Spaceship Earth is going to be reimagined in the coming months to combine the attraction's theme of time travel into the past with a brand new finale which is going to allow guests to imagine their futures the attraction is also going to be updated to include changes to each of the ride scenes, as well as the addition of new show scenes, lighting effects, costumes, set decorations, narration, and even a musical score. More importantly, 
the ride vehicles themselves are going to be enhanced with the addition of new interactive touchscreens that are going to allow guests to create their own visions of the future and see themselves in that future. Now, can you say Horizons? Because it sounds like these vehicles are going to either be upgraded or changed over to include screens that may possibly affect how your journey ends, much like Horizons did. Or it could even be something further, as the reference to seeing yourself in the future is very, very interesting. Now, we don't have any more details, but as they emerge, we, of course, will discuss this on the show. At the end of the attraction, guests are going to be able to visit Project Tomorrow, Inventing the World of Tomorrow, which is presented by Siemens, this corporate sponsor of Spaceship Earth, in the post-show area. Now here, there's going to be interactive exhibits, I referenced these a couple of weeks ago on the show, which are going to bring to life the ideas and technologies that Siemens is developing to help make the world, as they say, a better place for the future. They're going to include interactive games and displays. They're going to highlight interactive technologies in the fields of medicine, transportation, and responsible energy management across the globe. This post-show area is also going to include a 20-foot-wide illuminated globe that's going to display a changing collage of inspirational images, including things like Bodybuilder, which is a 3D game that's going to allow guests to assemble a digital human body, and Superdriver, which is a driving simulation that's going to showcase motor vehicle accidents and avoidance systems, which of course are developed by Siemens. Now, during this time, the attraction is going to remain open, although there are going to be some phase renovations occurring throughout the year. The timetable for the complete update to the attraction is scheduled to be fully completed in 2008. This is really the next in what's been a long line and history of changes, both major and minor, that Spaceship Earth has gone through since since its opening in 1982. As you may remember, when the attraction opened on October 1st as the flagship, really, of Epcot Center, it was narrated by Vic Perrin. And most notably, it didn't have a theme song uh, at all in the attraction. And at the time, it was felt, maybe because of the way it was developed and who contributed to the development of it, it was felt to be a little bit too boring, a little bit too educational. So three years later, on May 26th, 1986, the attraction closed very briefly. They had a new narration added by Walter Cronkite. They also added some new screens on the descent back to Earth. Um, going upwards, one thing that was notable that they did add Jewish scholars to the Islamic scene. They also added some new warning spiels about the vehicle rotating. Uh, and they also, they updated the signage to reflect the shakeup of the Bell System Company and uh, referencing the new sponsor, who was AT&T. Most notably, I think, was that the song Tomorrow's Child was added as the theme song. And really, they were able to accomplish all this in just four days. It closed on May 26th. It opened just four days later. And the post-show now included the now infamous AT&T Global Neighborhood. In August of 1994, it was again refurbed, and actor Jeremy Irons was now the narrator. Again, the, they redefined and reimagined the end just a little bit to make it a little bit more modern, uh, looking at today's technology. They also changed some of the scenes dramatically. They removed, unfortunately, in my opinion, the song Tomorrow's Child from the ending of the ride. This reopened just a couple of months later in November of 1994. In 1999, the now infamous wand was added to the exterior, and later that year, uh, AT&T's Global Neighborhood was replaced with a new Global Neighborhood, which was really more of a hands-on playground, a much more interactive type exhibit at the end of Spaceship Earth. When AT&T's corporate sponsorship ended on January 1st, 2003, a couple of months later, they took out the new Global Neighborhood, and they really just boarded up the area, and there's been uh, nothing there ever since, of course, all the references to AT&T have been removed. And this really, what we're seeing now with this project tomorrow is the next in line 
uh, for the attraction. I think it's a good thing. It sounds like the integrity of the attraction is going to stay there. It is going to be modernized. It is going to be upgraded. And finally, we, we will have something to see and do in that post-show area. So I will look for more details and, of course, report on them as they come out. I am very happy to report that the free dining I spoke about just a few weeks ago as rumor has been confirmed for both Disney Visa card holders and for other guests. If you get a Magic Your Way package between April 12th and June 24th, 2007 for travel dates between August 26th and September 22nd, 2007, you will now get free dining. This offer requires a three-night minimum stay and has a maximum of 14 nights. Now, since I reported on this as rumor a while ago, I've received a ton of emails from people asking me how this is going to affect crowds. Do they think that crowds really are going to be dramatically affected? And I don't think you're going to see that much of a change or a difference in crowds. And that's the reason why they schedule this free dining during these dates is because it is relatively a slow time of year. Where you're really going to see things and where you really need to pay attention is with dining because you really should set up all of your table service immediately if you're going to go with this, if not sooner. Uh, if you are going to go with the free dining, as soon as you book your package, you've got to start making your dining reservations because that's where you're going to see the most difficulty is in getting some of the premier restaurants as far as table service meals. But again, this is a great thing and I am very happy to see free dining coming back for 2007. A couple of other small notable bits of news over at the Disney MGM Studios Backlot Tour, some people have been emailing me telling that they have seen some new props added to the Boneyard, which you can see as far as, as part of the tram section. You'll see an airplane prop from the movie Flight Plan. You'll see some props from the movie Casanova. But most notably to Disney fans is you're going to see the two bone cages from Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Man's Chest. At Disney's Animal Kingdom... Drinkwalla in Asia, which has been closed since 2001, has now been reopened and now offers food in addition to refreshments. You can get things like turkey and ham sandwiches. In, A in Africa, the Tamu Tamu Refreshments has now added chef salads, hamburgers, and tuna to its lineup of drinks and refreshments as well as ice cream. It's unclear at this time if these are permanent changes or things that Disney is testing during the busy spring break season or in anticipation for the upcoming summer season, but we will keep our eyes out to see. It is nice to see, though, additional quick counter service areas throughout Disney's Animal Kingdom that you can get some dining options. And finally, for those Pirates fans which miss our good old friend Peg-Legged Pete, he was the Barker Parrot Bird that sat atop the entrance to Pirates of the Caribbean, was taken down during the upgrade and refurbishment last year. Well, Peg-Legged Pete is back, but he is not back at Pirates of the Caribbean. A cast member has emailed me this week and told me to make sure you visit the World of Disney next time you are down in Walt Disney World because they have Peg-Legged Pete from the old Pirates of the Caribbean attraction inside the store right now he is currently in of course the pirate themed section she does tell me that the audio animatronic which does speak and does talk to you about things that you can find in the store may actually be able to be picked up and moved to other sections and themed areas of the world of disney store although i couldn't actually see it uh, screaming out to you to buy princess tiaras and dresses but uh, it is good to see peg legged pete back if anybody has any pictures of pete over at the world of disney store i would love for you to send them to me i could put them up on the website and as always if you have any news or rumors that you'd like to report on send it to lou at wdwradio.com or call the voicemail at 206-202-4wdw and you can discuss anything that you've heard here or anything that you want to discuss over at the forums at disneyworldtrivia.com <laughs> 
For this week's Best of the Best segment, we're going to visit one of Disney's best resorts, and we're going to bring on one of Disney's best fans and biggest fans, and that's Mike Scoper from Mouse Planet and WDW Today. Mike, welcome back. Hey, Lou. Great to be back. Thanks, buddy. Nice to have you here. Mike, I wanted to bring you on for this one because, you know, there's so many different ways that you can judge what one of the best resorts are. We're not going to try and, you know, make a generalization of what the best of the best resorts is, but as far as convenience is concerned, you know, it's all about location, location, location. And uh, one thing I want to look at is what's the best of the best of the Disney resorts for convenience? Okay, well, I mean, it would be easy for me to just, you know, blab, blab, blab about Scopa Towers, but uh, I'm going to answer the question. I think that if you ask me which resort offers the best convenience, I, I'd have to say, I'd have to say it's the Polynesian, and, and there are a number of reasons why why I I lean towards the Polynesian, Lou. And one is that um, the Polynesian is very close to the Ticket and Transportation Center, so if you wanted to go to Epcot, you just walk over to the TTC and you take that monorail right over to Epcot. Uh, what I also like is the Polynesian is very close to the Magic Kingdom. It's, you know, everybody loves the Magic Kingdom. So um, if you happen to be there at the Magic Kingdom late at night and, and uh, you're tired, it's just a, a couple of monorail stops away to the Polynesian. Whereas if you're staying anywhere else uh, that's not on the uh, monorail system, you know, you have to go to the Ticket and Transportation Center and then you're going to drive from there. Uh, or if you could take a bus from the, from the uh, front of the, the park. But I think uh, it's convenient because it's, it's really close to the Magic Kingdom and it's close to uh, Epcot because you're just a monorail ride away. And also you're close to the Ticket and Transportation Center where you can take a bus to Fort Wilderness. Uh, so, so in that aspect, I, I like the Polynesian. I also like the Polynesian because it, it has one of the, uh, it has in, in my, in, in my opinion, one of the most romantic spots, and that is, I believe it's called Sunset Point, and uh, it's it's in the back, and uh, it's a really nice place to 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 take a nice walk at night, and and you can also watch Wishes from the uh, from the beach, and you can uh, listen to the music piped in. You can sit on a swing. It's also a great place to run. It's not my favorite place to <laughs> to run when I'm down there, but it's it's really an enjoyable. Uh, Run going through uh, the running through the Polynesian grounds in the morning and running up to the Grand Floridian back. It, it's it's really it's really good. They have two great restaurants in that they have um, the Kona and they have which has got great steak tips and of course they have uh, um, Ohana's which is which is a great great restaurant and something new this past year they they did captain uh captain cook's over and they are now offering dole whip at captain cook so so there you have it that I just mean, sealed got, the deal right there that, that sealed the deal <laughs> for me so i mean i think that i mean it's not the it's not the greatest value on the on the uh, property but i think all things considered um if i had to if someone said to me if you know which is the most convenient place it would have to be the polynesian I agree with you 100% actually. I think for a lot of people, when you talk about location and convenience, the first things that come to mind are the boardwalk and the yacht and the beach clubs right. because you can right. walk to MGM, you can walk to Epcot. 
but it does have its drawbacks because you know if you want to get to the monorail you now have to walk through world showcase all the way through future world and then when you come back you've got to do the exact same thing again uh, the polynesian you're right has everything going for it especially if you have family you know you're right on the monorail line you've got the boat accessibility you can walk to the ttc um it, it it's got everything going for it and uh, i think for all the points that you made you're right it is, it is definitely without a doubt the most convenient resort on property yep yep especially if you don't have a car if, if you don't have a car it's it's really good because um like you said you get the um, you get the monorail there and you've got the ttc so could save some money that way too and that money that you save will go towards the room <laughs> <laughs> right exactly <laughs> you're going to pay for one of those newly upgraded rooms with the plasma tvs that i have not had quite a chance to to see as yet so all right there you go the best resort on property to uh, the most convenient resort on property we are in agreement it is disney's polynesian resort mike scopa from wdw today in mouse planet thanks again for coming on buddy i really appreciate it my pleasure my pleasure lou thanks for having me Arguably the best, or at the very least one of the best, of Disney's resorts is the Polynesian. It's incredibly themed, it's rich in history, has an ideal location, um, as we just talked about. It's arguably one of the most convenient resorts on property, and definitely one of the finest places to stay. So what I want to do is bring in a real expert on the resort to join me in talking about the history of the resort, its changes over time, vacationing there now, and all that it has to offer, and of course, some of its hidden secrets and treasures that even the most seasoned veteran might overlook. So I want to welcome in Steve Seifert. He's known as the Tiki Man for his amazing work on his unofficial Polynesian resort site at tikiman2001.homestead.com. Steve, welcome to the show. Aloha, Lou. Alo- I'm, see, I, I shouldn't say welcome. I should say aloha. <laughs> <laughs> well, mahalo uh, for coming on. And, uh, you know, let, let's get right into it, Steve. Let's kind of go back and talk about the history of the resort because, as we all know, it was one of the original two, along with the contemporary, uh, that opened with the Magic Kingdom. Construction started way back in February of 71 and was completed in August of that year. I mean, they got it up pretty quickly. But what we see today at at, uh, the Polynesian is not what was originally intended. That's right. It wasn't, uh, you know, the building was supposed to be very different than what we have now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Some of the pictures you can see on my site that I've took a while to hunt down um, showed it as a uh, 12-story main building with some uh, smaller longhouses um, out along the perimeter. Um, so it's it's obviously changed from concept to what it is today. The the longhouse concept was there from the beginning, but that original building, you know, we talked about this offline a little bit. It kind of had that seventies, you know, Waikiki Beach kind of Hawaii Five O ish look and feel to it. Yeah, it did. I mean, um, and you know, we've speculated on what where did that thought come from? You know, it didn't seem like a Walt Disney idea, which I'm sure he 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 obviously had a lot of involvement in this, but you'd think it would be more. I mean, today's look is more that Adventureland look and that feel. Um, but you know, maybe what it was is since he liked to travel to Hawaii so often um, back in that in that time, that was kind of the architecture of what you would see on Waikiki Beach. And then obviously, then they kind of surrounded it with more of a bungalow Polynesian look um, in their earlier concepts. 
Well, I guess fortunately for us, they kind of decided to go with this central building, the Great Ceremonial House, and a bunch of smaller longhouses around it. And that Great Ceremonial House was actually inspired by a, a real building. Yeah, it was the uh, uh, it's the Tahiti. It was the Assembly uh, Royal Assembly Lodge, I believe, um, in Tahiti, that uh, was the main design for the uh, kind of the uh, the peak that you see at the top of that is where that came from. And, and it's interesting. Originally, um, you know, a lot of people refer to the kind of the lobby and the and the lounge area um, as the um, Great Ceremonial House, but um, originally. Um, and I don't know if they just dropped the name and kind of combined it, but originally the main lobby where the atrium is and the check-in desk was the great ceremonial house. Um, and actually at that time there were some restaurants. And then the farther uh, end of it where the um, Captain Cook's is now and at that time there were some stores and things was actually called the um, Outrigger Assembly House. So it's interesting hmm. that they've kind of dropped that off of the maps um, in, in earlier years. I guess the assumption is that just people just ended up referring to this one big building as that, and it just was easier to right. to call it central location. But, you know, the, the other thing that I saw on your site, and I think it's a great bit of trivia, is that the longhouses were designed after, you know, authentic longhouses in Hawaii, and that actually led to a very interesting design element that the original longhouses didn't have. Oh, you mean because it doesn't have the balconies? Yeah. Yeah, um, it, and it's funny because even rumors have started uh, that... There's a, they, there's a. It was a rumor about these uh, little people called Minihune, and they said that, that they didn't build balconies because they would sneak in and, and they were like gremlins and you know disturb things in the home. And and it's funny because if you actually research it now, they they believe that the Minihune were actually a a real race of, of small people, and and instead of being mischievous or like gremlins, they were actually people that would um, build things. They were good builders and would uh, leave things for uh, other villagers uh, so it's it's funny that it's turned into a rumor that these bad people are going to come and sneak in and that's why they didn't build the balconies but it just happened to be that longhouses back then uh, really didn't have any balconies hmm. well like i said the resort opened um with the magic kingdom on october 1st 1971 it originally had 492 guest rooms six of which were suites, and they were divided up between eight longhouses and that the entire property encompassed at the time 39 acres and those original longhouses were bally high Bora Bora, Fiji, Hawaii, Maui, Samoa, Tahiti, and Tonga. But I think something else that's interesting about the construction of the resort itself um, kind of goes to literally how it was built. It was designed by Welton Beckett uh, from Santa Monica, California, as, as well as Wed Enterprises. And it was constructed by U.S. Steel. And they were going to eventually lease the hotel company back to Disney. But that's not eventually what ended up happening with this and the contemporary yeah, I think around the same time, because uh, uh, I believe the uh, um, Disneyland Hotel um, was uh, leased by Disney. And then I think they had the foresight to know that it was going to be better to own these hotels and, and obviously taking the money that they were going to uh, get. Uh, so I think then they decided, let's shift gears here on the on the property in um, Disney World and let's own this stuff. You know, we don't want to lease it from somebody else that could have control over it. Yeah, and so Disney obviously eventually took control, but the thing I think that's really great about the way these rooms are constructed both here and at the Contemporary is that the rooms themselves weren't actually built off-site. I mean, they weren't, duh, they weren't actually built on-site. <laughs> they were built off-site and, and trucked in and kind of, they used almost like a chest of drawers system to kind of slide these rooms right in. Yeah, you know, there's um, there's a, especially now with YouTube and everything, there's some amazing video of, of the construction. And uh, a lot of it is showing the um, Contemporary 
and even if you um, look up this this new technology at the time, um, it they they do kind of focus on um, how the contemporary was laid in, how it was like slid into place. Um, but really, the Polynesian was done the same way, um, which is part of the reason why the original longhouses that don't have the um, second floor balconies um, can't have it added now. It's kind of the way that the original rooms were constructed. But yeah, the, the interesting part was. Um, the the rooms were completely built. I mean, it was really they wanted to be able to slide it in and plug in a few connections, hook up a few things, and have people in there ready to clean the rooms. You know, shortly after they've they've done this, there was fixtures, there was carpet, there was wallpaper, or, you know, anything that was bolted down, obviously that they could truck over, and ventilation, wiring, everything was done. Um, and not only that, but the way they they built it. They were extremely light in comparison to what a, a normal room would weigh, uh, uh, you know, being constructed with normal materials. Yeah, they were only, I mean, like I said, relatively speaking, they were only about eight and a half tons each. And, you know, right. I know as far as the contemporary was concerned, one of the reasons why this idea failed is they never kind of, I guess, took into consideration that over time, like the contemporary especially, the building would settle and yeah. things would kind of shift. So if they tried they to yank one of the they'd be yanking down the whole building. <laughs> to be, but well, to, yeah, with the contemporary, I think it was a, a lot of um, the structure. Yeah, the structure started to settle and twist. Um, so they they figured they weren't even going to try and get it out. That they, there'd be too much damage to not only the room but possibly the structure. But also um, with the Polynesian, it was more of a case um, because. It would have actually been a little bit easier to remove. They kind of take off some of the, the wood trim and exterior and, and to get them out. But the thing is, is they couldn't get in heavy enough equipment to actually get over to the locations to even think about pulling them out. So at that point, they just said, you know, they're just going to stay there. It, it would have been interesting to see if, if that's how they were going to, um, if that would have worked, if that's how they would have done the redesigns, if they would have, you know, designed the rooms offsite and then trucked them on over and plugged them right in kind of a thing. That way, yeah, that would that would have just been amazing to see, just again from a, a geek perspective, to to see them <laughs> yeah. swapping out rooms like that, and then you can you can actually buy a full Polynesian room right up on eBay. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah, probably along with the monorail, right? <laughs> Run it right past it. Yeah. Again, my wife's a big fan of me bidding on this stuff. Anyway, um, <laughs> you know, going back to to some of the history, and there's there's all kinds of great trivia and stuff like that on your site. That again, I, I want to have people reference over to like the old restaurants and and I want to touch on some of the things that are gone but but not quite forgotten and a couple of things that I remember as a kid and I would love to see again and the first thing is something I think a lot of people don't remember because it wasn't there for a long time and that was the wave making machine that was kind of off the shore over, over off Beachcomber Isle right Beachcomber. there in Lagoon, in Lagoon that's right and um it, it's funny because the uh, when I first heard about it, the the rumor was that it was set up so that the um, guests could surf. Right. <laughs> and and I, you know, I I guess you could you know you can surf on a pretty small wave if you really had to. But the, the actually the main intent was to um, be kind of a an effect, you know, sound and visually for the resort. You'd hear the waves kind of rolling up on the shore and kind of have that look and feel. I mean, obviously, it was only going to do it for a, a certain area of the resort also because it wasn't, uh, you know, large enough to span across all the beaches that they had. Um, but, uh, you know, they tried it out, and uh, they, they test ran it and then shut it down. And I guess they tested it again in the later 70s. I don't know if they did any adjustments or what the – or somebody else just came along and said, hey, let's try it again. But it was just – it was eroding the beach too much, Um and the beach actually already erodes just from boat activity and everything. In fact, 
recently they've had to truck in more sand. So I can imagine having, you know, larger waves crashing up on the shore constantly throughout the day would just, you know, take your beach away a lot faster. Yeah, you used to be able to take, you know, one of the watercraft, rent a watercraft and kind of get close to Beachcomb Ryle and, and see it there. I haven't been out on the waters of, of, uh, of Lagoon in a long time. You really can't see anything at this point anymore, correct? No, I think there's, I mean, there might be some of the, you know, the in-ground mounts, but uh, the pretty much the machine, um, and this is even by um, Disney's documentation, says that the last testing of it was in 1985, and then they, at that point, they dismantled it and re- removed it from Beachcomber Island. Yeah, so so don't get adventurous and think you can go out and, and <laughs> dive down and find it, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> or turn it on. <laughs> yeah, some of the other things that that were pretty cool. They had uh, this giant war canoe that you can rent and kind of go out, like you saw on Hawaii Five O. Um, I remember right. the bob around boats, and they were kind of these round boats with these almost like circus like tent tops to them, and they they, they had music in them. I, I remember taking it out with my parents as a kid. Yeah, right. They had a stereo system in them. Um, and I don't, I don't remember. Do you remember if they were kind of like a bumper car kind of a boat? You know, I, I have very. Or did they, did they frown upon that? <laughs> don't run into your neighbor. <laughs> Before our pre-litigious society, I'm sure they didn't mind, but now, right. you know. But uh, the thing that I and I think I actually mentioned this in the first book, and I think it's a cool trivia fact was they had a 65 foot Chinese junk that that actually right. had a cocktail right. lounge in it and the whole full bar and everything. That's right. And, um, yeah, a, a cabin lounge and a stateroom, and, and they had uh, people along up there that you know, would serve you throughout the evening. And um, I'm not sure how far they actually took it out, or I, I can't imagine it just sat at the dock. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was little interesting details like that that they had back then that, of course, um, you know, nowadays it's, some of those details kind of get lost. Yeah, it was actually called the Eastern Winds, and uh, my research had turned up that Joe Namath, uh, the old quarterback from the Jets, actually bought it. You know, I think I did. Hear, I did read that somewhere. All right, Whew, good. All right, I'd like to know where he put it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> God he must have man. a big pool. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, speaking of change, like I said, I want to touch on a couple of the major changes that took place throughout the years, and I think. The first real big one was uh, back in 1978 when they added 144 rooms um, with the construction of Oahu, which is now called Tokelau, and they also constructed a new pool, right? Yeah, the, um, a lot of people call it the Quiet Pool. The official name is the East Pool. Um, that area used to be a, a putting green um, in between um, what is now Samoa uh, Longhouse and um the next thing over would have been the uh, transportation and ticket center. So it was kind of just this expansion of the putting green and then some grass areas with some small paths that would head over towards the uh, TTC. It's great that you mentioned the putting green because it shows between that and all these activities and all the things they had to do, what a real resort destination this was. It wasn't just a hotel. I mean, it's a place that you can, there was a lot to do there even when it first opened. That's right. They even had a diving board at one point in the swimming pool, which is why the older pool was deep enough on one end for that but of course another thing that got removed <laughs> the, the lawyers came in and, and goodbye di- <laughs> goodbye diving board <laughs> yeah and you know what was um, really interesting um, in the uh, evolution of it actually before they built those buildings that would have been out that direction where the putting green was they, and I have a concept art of it actually that was from 1975 they were going to build World Showcase um, over where the mm-hmm. transportation and ticket center is which 
it had already existed, so I'm assuming they would have had to modify it or remove it um, from that location. And then the monorail would have actually run through um, the center of World Showcase, and then beyond World Showcase, where now is the parking lot for the Magic Kingdom, was actually going to be a waterway that the the monorail kind of ran over and around. Yeah, you want to talk about prime location being right in between, you know, World Showcase and Magic Kingdom. And Magic and Kingdom, on yeah, the right. <laughs> But a couple of notable things, you know, back in 1995, the Papiette Bay Veranda, I used to call it Papitan, and I was chastised for that, became Ohana's <laughs> um, back in April. And that was the, um, that was when they opened up, what the time, I guess it's still maybe the world's largest fire pit. I don't know if it still holds that distinction. That's, that's what I hear. I haven't heard anybody... Uh, come to me and say somebody's got one bigger but uh, that sounds good they've recently yeah. done another pretty major upgrade to all the rooms and longhouses um over the last couple of years yeah well uh, you know the 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 major look changed in the early 90s in the mid 90s 96 97 98 they they just needed to kind of tear out the rooms carpet and everything and redo that well then of course that's going to have to happen Again, so they started with um, in in the millennium. They decided the the whole resort was going to go through a major change, and it was actually only supposed to last a few years. But due to uh, time to do things and budget constraints and things like that, it it has gone on until actually now. And that started with gutting the whole middle and putting in the whole new pool area with the volcano pool that's there now. And then they started in on the rooms. What they did with the original longhouses is um, they basically gutted the rooms down to the f- even r- ripping the floors out and filled in all the gaps um, on the foundation um, from the old slide-in rooms. It was all you know open underneath there. There was moisture getting trapped in there, and they, they had problems with that. So and, they, and the air systems needed to be redone. So they just started tearing basically the guts out of each of the original longhouses. Um, once they were done with that, uh, everyone thought, oh, that's the new refurbishment, even though it was really the same look as um, what they had currently had. But um, that the major refurbishment was actually still to come, and they were starting test rooms in one of the longhouses for the look that you'll you'll see today. And, and today's look is is an amazing transformation, flat screen monitors and the, the new beds, the same beds that the Grand Floridian has, um, uh, you know, a coffee bar area in between a whole new closet system that has granite countertops and refrigerator in every room and yeah everybody says how beautiful the new rooms are and that's just one of the many reasons why um to you know, that, that that you should stay at the polynesian because really you know you walk in it, the, the theming of the resort is incredible and there's stuff for kids to do but there's a million reasons to stay there um it, it's a monorail resort you, you can take boats to the magic kingdom the theming of the south pacific uh you got the two pools like you said the volcano pool which is just wonderfully themed probably one of the best on properties great views three restaurants so let's talk a little bit about staying at the polynesian now and i guess we should start off by saying that this is a deluxe resort resort and it does carry with it deluxe prices and the 2007 room rates which i'll put up in the show notes range you know anywhere from a garden view room during value season at 329 dollars and during the holidays uh that goes up to 519 a Magic Kingdom view room starts at 455, goes up to 670, and if you really want to um, not send the kids to college, you can send stay at the <laughs> King Kamahamahamea Suite for 20 for a discounted price of 2,725 dollars per night. And just imagine what the room tax on it is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
But uh, tell us, notwithstanding the the King Suite, which is it's got uh, it's 1,800 square feet. There's three and a half bedrooms. I mean, that's that is the you know probably the best of the best at, at the Polynesian. But what are some of the other great you know either longhouses to stay in or buildings they should be in? Uh, what should people be looking for when they go? Um, I think the the first thing is people always are concerned with what building to stand because I think they think that there's a lot of walking involved with the Polynesian. It really is more of a perception thing than a fact. Um, I've I've timed. I, I walk the resort pretty much every time I go just to see what's changed and you know if everything from how the trees and are growing and anything they've changed on the buildings. And walking it, really, you can walk from one end to the other at a, a normal pace, and it takes you like seven minutes. So any longhouse to back to where the restaurants and and the lobby is is going to take you five minutes or less, and in most cases less. Uh, so a lot of people look, you know, they ask for, for location. Um, uh, the other thing people always want to get is um, they are interested in the larger room with the double sink, which is the newer construction. Um, now, it's interesting, though, because even the original longhouse rooms are large in comparison to most of the deluxes on property. Um, also, people, it'll depend on um, what people want for a view, because you've got now... Um, Lagoon View and Magic Kingdom View are really rooms that are kind of along the, the same area. At one point, they were all Lagoon Views, and then they went along and picked the rooms that have a completely unobstructed view of the castle and, of course, jacked up the price <laughs> and called it a Magic Kingdom View room. Right. Now, I, it kind of makes sense to me because some people are always worried if I get a Lagoon View room and, and there's very, very few Lagoon View rooms that are blocked, that block the castle view. I think I figured it out at one point to be seven or eight percent of all the Lagoon View rooms, um, but they still didn't want to take that chance. So I guess it makes sense. Okay, if you pay the the extra, you're not taking the chance. You're going to get the clear view. But the best part about the Polynesian is if you don't want to spend the money on on that type of view and you get a garden view, uh, which is the cheapest room, you're going to get. There's very there's a few in one building that actually have what I call a parking lot view. And most most of the time, they don't try and book people in those rooms, and and I think some of them are even um, handicap accessible rooms. So a lot of times, those don't, even, those don't even get booked. So your chances are really low you're going to get those. So if you get a garden view room, you're either going to be looking at pretty amazing landscaping that they have at the Polynesian. It's not your run of the mill ordinary grass and bushes. Um, you're gonna you could get a view of the pools. You could get a view of the monorail. You could get a view of the marina. And there's even quite a few that have views of the beach, uh, either kind of at an angle or off to the side. Or um, one of my, my favorite picks for a garden view room is, is Tokelau. Um, there's quite a few of those rooms that if you look down the side, you can see the castle and on, on one side and on the other side, the contemporary. But you get kind of a lagoon view. I mean, you're looking, you can see fireworks, you can see what's going on in lagoon. And, and that's all for a garden view price. Right. And that's what we did when we stayed there uh, with my kids a couple of years ago. I think we were in, we were maybe in either Tahiti or Tokelau. What we did is we just came out and kind of went right on the side of the building, went over by the beach and watched the fireworks from there. And we yeah, kind of uh, got the view that we needed without having to pay the, the added price. Uh, and the same thing can be said about uh, people that decide to do concierge. You know, a lot of times I'll just say, hey, well, if you don't want to spend the, the price for a lagoon view, get the garden view. You can either go to the beach or you've got the lounge that, that pipes in the music and you can sit there and, and enjoy it, you know, just as much as anybody. 
Yeah, and from what I understand, the concierge at the Polynesian is arguably the best on property. I've heard nothing but good things about the service and the people that work up in the concierge lounge. But something else that the Polynesian has that I think is great, even if you're not staying there, are its variety of restaurants. And it, again, it runs the gamut. Ohana's is definitely the, the premier restaurant there. It's family style. They have character meals in the morning. They have uh, uh, good food served family style at night. Uh, It's a lot of fun. You can also, again, if you're by the window and and time it right, you can catch wishes. Something I think that's overlooked a little bit is the Kona Cafe. They have a full menu at night and it's a great alternative if you can't get into Ohana. I highly, highly, highly recommend going there and getting the Tonga Toast for breakfast. That is (laughs) banana stuffed sourdough bread rolled in cinnamon sugar with choice of ham, bacon, or sausage for the low, low price of $8.99. So much for my marathon training, Lou. Um, Another place I enjoy that hasn't really changed since day one is the Tambu Lounge, and that's upstairs right next to Ohana, and that has um, some great kind of tropical drinks and uh, and some snacks and things like that. You can get cheese and shrimp cocktails and and chicken tenders, a nice place to kind of hang out at night and just relax. Yeah, we know you like your lapu-lapu so much. <laughs> we will speak not of the lapu-lapus. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah, I totally agree with uh, your um, remarks about Kona Cafe. It's a, I think a lot of people think, and maybe it's the name Cafe, because I've had people say, oh, is it just like a little diner or something? And I said, no, I mean, the food is has always been excellent. I've had very few times, as much as I've eaten there, that I've had bad service. Right, and I think maybe, you know, at least a dinner menu bears mentioning, because maybe you're right, people have the conception of cafe. They have macadamia-crusted mahi-mahi, shrimp and scallops, filet mignon, herb-roasted turkey medallion, pan-Asian noodles, coconut almond chicken, beef teriyaki. So again, there's something for everybody. It's not just, you know, burgers and hot dogs or and sandwiches like you might think at a cafe. It really is, you know, someplace that you can go and enjoy. And from what I understand, um, you know, I've had the mahi-mahi there. It's delicious. I know people that swear by the filet mignon. They, they think it's some of the best on property. So uh, it, it is a good restaurant, not only just as a, a good place to eat, but as an alternative, you know, to something like Ohana's. You mentioned Captain Cook's Snack Company. That was just refurbished. That is a walk-up counter cafe. It's notable that they now have a new ordering system where they have kind of a touch screen thing. And again, I think you have pictures of it on your site. And finally, I'm sorry. A video. <laughs> oh, even a video. Even better yet. Um, last but not least is the Spirit of Aloha dinner show. There's two shows every Tuesday through Saturday, 515, 8 o'clock at night. It, the shows last about two hours. And it's a full kind of... Polynesian luau kind of thing and they have chicken and ribs and rice and vegetables, things like that. I've done it a couple of times with my family. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, I, I know people, some people have said the food is not the best in the world. We actually liked it. It's a good time and uh, it's an interactive show where they'll get you and your kids kind of up and dancing as well. Yeah, I agree. I've heard uh, quite a few mixed reviews. Uh, I've been to quite a few authentic luau's and not even just ones done by resorts um, in, in Hawaii. So for me, it, it was a it's a fun time I mean, it's a it's a good dinner I, everybody around me including us asked for more so there wasn't anything we were saying that's you know it's that's no good um, and you get the entertainment it, it really is a, a fun evening um, it seems like everybody that I've gone with and people around us have all, all enjoyed it so um, it's it, it's interesting that it does uh, sometimes get as many complaints as it, as it does it's one of those things you just gotta if you're thinking of trying it don't go by everybody else's opinion just 
go and give it a shot. Right. It, you may find out. It's like hoop de doo It's like hoop de doo You got to buy into it. You got to just go and have fun. And and like Ohana's, there's no way you're going to leave hungry <laughs> because <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right. if you leave hungry out of either of those two restaurants, something is very very wrong. That's right. <laughs> but um, oh, and, and an interesting fact that we we need to mention about, about uh, Captain Cooks before we move on is now they have the infamous Dole whips. I'm sorry, I'm not familiar with that snack item. I've never really. Oh heard yeah, that. yeah, right. <laughs> oh, and they do have your Tonga toast. <laughs> they have Tonga toast at Captain Cooks. They do. Well, forget what I said about Kona Cafe. Just go right to. Con- <laughs> Just go there <laughs> and get the Tonga Cooks. toast. Get the Tonga toast and get to the park quickly. Time yeah, not call spent it a day. The, right. Time not spent in the parks is time wasted. But um, you know, That's Steve, right. over and above you know the quality of the rooms and everything else, there, there's a lot of other. Like I, I like to call them hidden, hidden secrets and hidden treasures and other things that the Polynesian has to offer. So I want you to impart some of your wisdom, you know, from way on top of Mount Wanahakalugi, and, and let's talk about some of the other things <laughs> that that the Polynesian has that I think maybe people don't know about. And and there are things like you know the storytelling and the hula lessons and the torch lighting, which is very cool. Yeah, it, it kind of changes uh, over the years. But they always try and have little events going on. They do, they'll do the storytelling inside the Great Ceremonial House for the kids. I've gone through there, and they've had tables set up, and they're doing crafts for the kids, and they're making lays and making art projects. I've even seen some on some holidays, they'll have a kind of a tent out at the um, pool, and they'll have kids' activities and crafts going on out there, as well as games at the pool and the beach for kids. So it's kind of interesting for the people that will hang out at the resort, resort during the day or in the afternoons. I think they're surprised at all the things that kind of go on when you're not rushing just out of your room to get on the monorail to go to all the parks all day and then coming back after everything's closed up and, and sealed up tight. So um, I think the first thing you need to do is if you have the time, take part of a day, spend it at the resort, and see see the things that, to do. Rent a boat, take it out on uh, Seven Seas Lagoon or all the way over to Bay Lake. It's, it's, it's an unbelievable relaxing trip. Um, you know, see the activities going on, the, the torch lighting in the afternoon. I think these are all free activities they just do to kind of enhance the, the feel of the resort. Um, you know, that they're always trying new things. There's been rumors about um, uh, last year they were t- talking about trying to set up um, movie screens out on the beach to show cartoons um, during in the evenings. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be nice to see that that happen. And uh, maybe they haven't figured out exactly how to do it, or they, or maybe it's been uh, taken off the schedule. But they're always trying to think of, you know, new things for the guests to do. So it really can be a destination, and not just a place to sleep. Absolutely. And again, you list all these things over on your website. The other thing I think that's notable and something I've started to pay more attention to now as my kids get older is they have the Neverland Club there for kids where there's all kinds of activities and you can leave your kids in a safe environment where you know that they'll be taken care of and they do treasure hunts and they kind of, like I said, do crafts and and watch movies and things like that. And uh, it's something pretty cool. They feed them too. I think they have like a little buffet for the kids in the evenings. Yeah, I mean, so there's, and like you said, a lot of the stuff there is free. So, you know, if you're not going to go commando style and you are going to spend time at the resort, it's a great place because there is so much other stuff to do that you could do as a family. You can let your kids go and do on their own. You know, there's something a little bit there for everybody. That's right. And, you know, the nice thing, especially for families, um, and it kind of applies to all the monorail resorts, is that you do have access to the Grand Floridian and the contemporary um, for shopping and, and dining and, you know, just 
or walking around and browsing. Um, right. And, you know, speaking of walking, the transportation ticket center is a quick walk away. So earlier I, I was talking about the best of the, this being the best of the best as far as resort for convenience because of all the access you have to all the different parks, all the different restaurants, all the different shopping. Um, it really has so much going for it. Um, I really want to direct you guys again over to Steve's website. It is tikiman2001.homestead.net. I'll put a link up to that in the show notes. Before I let Steve go, uh, there was one thing that I wanted to mention, and that is Tiki Fest. And that's taking place on Sunday, July 29th, 2007, over at the very exclusive salon over at the Living Seas. It's going to be a great meet with, with not only Steve, but other friends of the Polynesian. Steve, why don't you tell us a little bit about what's going on at Tiki Fest and uh, cost and, and how we can find out more. Yeah, Tiki Fest is um, an event that we decided to start to say thanks to all the great friends and people we've met through my site and uh, helped plan their trips. And, and we just uh, we wanted to make a nice gathering of uh, a lot of these people, give them a, a, a date and a destination, give them a good meal, some entertainment, a great room to go to, and some good friends. And so we worked with uh, Disney's event planners um, on a couple of locations, and they came up with the the salon or what's also called the VIP room at the uh, Living Seas. Um, I've actually been uh, in the room. It's very cool. Very, oh, very have cool. You? Yeah, I've seen yeah. the room and if you, and kids are going to like it too because you've got, you know, the aquarium and whatnot right there. So Yeah, and that was the thought because uh, we know there's going to be some kids there. Um, so we wanted to kind of have something to, you know, keep them entertained. Um, you know, we had some other ideas on some entertainment. We might even get some of the people from the Polynesian to come over and have some little luau lessons or hula lessons things like that and then you know we've got some giveaways um and it's not it's you know we decided we're not going to have a like a contest we're just going to draw some names um for lucky people that are going to the event and we're going to have things like a carved tiki carved by the same people that um, carved them for the polynesian in the mid to early 90s and um an exact replica made from the mold of the um drummer at the tiki room um it's pretty cool even the drum lights up and it's a limited edition which are no longer for sale in fact i wanted to keep it for myself once i unwrapped <laughs> it but um and then uh, lunch with uh, an imagineer is uh, and his family is coming out from california uh, to the event and so we're gonna take uh, a family or whoever draws the name to lunch at kona cafe and, and pay for their lunch and have some good discussions talk about the polynesian talk about imagineering all that good stuff. Um, and also to help people that want to travel during this time, um, we did get um, uh, group rates on every room category at the Polynesian. Um, the rates were so low that actually uh, there were some complaints from other travel planners that we had them posted. So Disney asked us not to post them, but um, you can uh, go to the link and um, email uh, Magical Vacations for all the prices. But all the prices are basically a hundred dollars or more off of the per night uh, room rate so they're they're very, very good rates and some of the lowest I've ever seen so as, if, also, you did, so as we, if you didn't need another reason to go to the Polynesian here <laughs> it is you, right. you got Tiki Fest you got discounted rates lunch with Imagineer the Tiki Drummer uh, I'm, I'm pretty much sold at this point purely for yeah, research and, purposes <laughs> right. and you know and we even worked pretty hard on the um, on the price it's uh, $70 for adults and 35 for kids it's a two-hour plus event it's it's right now geared as two hours it could go over um they'll be serving food for an hour and a half and you know we worked on a good menu 
So, um, you know, we, we worked a long time on, uh, with the event planners. They were really good about this, um, about coming up with, uh, you know, good stuff for the event. And they've been very helpful. We, we, and they even uh, offered us, um, uh, all the ticket packages, the, you know, the, all, all the different, um, uh, packages or, or tickets, you know, magic your way and all that at, um, discounted rates also that you can, uh, get for the event. Excellent. Well, like I said, I'm going to put a link up specifically to the Tiki Fest page in the show notes. Again, that's Sunday, July 29th, 2007. I'm sure you can uh, gather from this interview that, that Steve is a great, he's a personable guy. I met him last year at Mouse Fest and, uh, and obviously a, a font of knowledge about all things Polynesian. So again, go over and check out his site at tikiman2001.homestead.net. That link will be up in the show notes. Steve, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking a little Polynesian with me and uh, some of the history and trivia and some of the good, great vacation planning stuff. Yeah, thanks, Lou. It's always good to talk to you. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Danny Kay, and I'm speaking to you live and wet from Epcot Center. This is the realization of Walt Disney's dream to create a permanent showcase of technology and world culture. It's a living monument to past achievements and a testament to the hopes of the future. A future where the quality of life for all people will be improved. It's with this spirit in mind that I'd like you all to share with me the wonder and the excitement of this truly remarkable place. Why don't you come with me as we look forward to the dawning of the 21st century. Many Disney fans, myself included to a certain degree, I guess, were somewhat surprised and disappointed when word came out that no celebration was planned for Epcot's 25th anniversary this coming October 1st. Many purists felt that this occasion should have been recognized and marked in some way, much like the Magic Kingdom's 10th and 15th and 25th you know, birthdays have been in the past. In fact, our own Jeff Pepper felt that we as you know, Disney enthusiasts and, and journalists and podcasts and bloggers and the like, we kind of had a responsibility to acknowledge and celebrate this occasion. And to that end, he's written a, a wonderful series of posts about Epcot, which I'm going to link to in the show notes, as well as uh, an awesome, awesome graphic that I think is just exceptional and really kind of captures that uh, Epcot spirit. So I also felt compelled uh, to, to celebrate, and not what, you know, meets at the park and things like that, but um, because not everybody can get to it. Uh, I wanted to celebrate Epcot's history on the show so that that all the fans could enjoy it and listeners could enjoy it. So uh, what I want to do with Jeff's help is to offer a look back on the Epcot Center that so many of us reminisce about and miss a great deal. And and to that end, Jeff, welcome back on the show, buddy. Hey, good to be here, Lou. Thanks for for having me back. Not a problem. So what we want to do is a a series of segments which are going to kind of serve as an Epcot retrospective. And we're going to pay homage to some of these original attractions and these lost treasures with some fun facts and trivia and things in there. And we're going to talk about, you know, Horizons and, and the genesis of Spaceship Earth and the original Journey into Imagination with Figment and Dreamfinder, uh, the, you know, the original Living Seas and so, so much more. But I wanted to start out uh, with these, you know, Walt Disney World Wayback Machine segments 
by looking at Epcot just a little bit differently. And we're going to kind of visit the Epcot that never was. And what I want to do is kind of take this, you know, I think about this Wayback Machine as kind of a time-traveling device. It kind of lets us go back into Walt Disney World's past. We can visit the parks and resorts at any time through its history, walk its, its you know, streets and walk around the parks, see what was there and see what wasn't, uh, seek out new life and new... No, sorry, wrong show. <laughs> Inner geek coming out. <laughs> but... Um, so what, what we wanted to do, Jeff, like I said, was kind of look back at Epcot Center way back when. And, you know, in past articles and on past shows, I've spoken about uh, some of the some of the World Showcase pavilions, for example, that never came to be. Uh, they included Spain, Israel, and, and most notably Equatorial Africa, which, which really was going to be something big and something very special. And, and needless to say, those pavilions weren't the only ones that were really left on on the uh, Imagineers drawing boards and I guess the accountant's desk. Um, And it's too bad because what they had planned, I'm sure you know, Jeff, especially for the Africa Pavilion was going to be something really, really special. In fact, here's audio from Danny Kay from the Epcot opening special that aired on national TV. Alex Haley, I presume? You presume correctly. Welcome to Equatorial Africa. Well, thank you very much. Uh, Am I too early? About a year, but it's always nice to see you. (laughs) I know you've been a consultant to uh, World Showcase since the beginning, so you must have a pretty good notion of what we will all expect to see when the African Pavilion opens. Well, for one thing, we plan to show the beauty, the drama, the energy, the diversity of this amazing continent. Well, who should know better about that than the author of Roots, huh? If I remember correctly, Alice, Walt Disney was the one who said, I would rather entertain people and hope that they learn something from it. And I think you agree with that. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, that's the theory behind all these other provisions that are soon to open. Sir, it was an honor, and I am very, very proud to have talked with you. And I will be seeing you soon, I think. I can find my way out myself. You think you won't need a guide? Uh, not this time. Maybe next time. We'll see you in about a year. Yeah, it, it, there was so much on the drawing boards, and it's interesting Interesting, you mentioned it. Is I, I just recently posted um, on 2719 uh, um, some excerpts from Fortune Magazine. Fortune Magazine came out um, with Epcot on the cover right before Epcot opened. And they were really, it was an article that was just all about crunching the numbers and how much it was riding on Epcot. And at that point, it was $900 million, uh, what the price tag was. And I think it, it even kicked up to a final number of just over a billion dollars. And I think they had so many great ideas, but at just some point, the money ran out. Or not so much the money ran out, but they just they had to rein it into some point, you know, and, and time constraints also to get it open and left much of it and you what you say is correct about world showcase is uh, it it seems like you know every pavilion had an attraction planned for it there was not it wasn't like where we have morocco or germany now that just is more or less restaurants and shops it, everything had a some type of attraction that was going to go into it yeah and and what you were going to get with equatorial africa was something more than just a singular attraction and, and rather than kind of go through that all again i'll put a link up to my article where I really kind of discuss what was going to be there, because unlike things like Spain um, and Israel, which did have coming soon signs, 
you know, Africa really looked like it was a done deal. They had specials on TV. They had Danny Kaye. Uh, they had Alex Haley from Roots talking about it and taking guests through what it would be like. But you know, you're right. That that's not the only pavilion in Epcot. We talk uh, about Japan. It, you know, many of you may or may not know Japan was also going to have an attraction in it, and it was going to be a full blown roller coaster right behind the pavilion. And that was the Mount Fiji theme. Yeah, well, it, it's interesting that you say that. There was, um, there, it had a couple of tentative titles. One of them was was supposedly going to be Fire Mountain, and the other one was Fa- Mount Fuji. And you're like, okay, th- this is perfect. This is great world showcase. You know, Epcot Center doesn't really have any thrill rides. What kind of a, a great way to get people into world showcase and around to the back end of world showcase than a gate buster big roller coaster like that? But like you said, all these things had their fair share of issues. Now, of course, this one would probably have been in 1982 dollars, upwards of $100 million. And Disney, of course, as with everything they do in these pavilions, wasn't going to fund this by themselves. So they had to find Japanese corporate sponsors to help kind of underwrite these costs of construction and maintenance. And, you know, not every company is running to Disney with $50 million saying, yes, let's let's build uh, a roller coaster. But one did. And uh, it looked like it was going to be a great fit. It's a company we all know and, and have used their products probably in the past. And this kind of white knight that came to the table was Fuji, as in Fuji Film, as in Kodak has already been Disney's corporate sponsor for decades. Uh. And thanks, but no thanks. But obviously, Disney sells Kodak Film everywhere. Kodak sponsors pavilions. The last thing that Kodak is going to want is for their number one competitor. And that's what Fuji was to come in advertising their products and certainly Disney was not at that point going to jeopardize their relationship with Kodak uh, and have them come in and do that. And there there were the Imagineers crying in their handkerchiefs. <laughs> as well as many of the guests. I mean there was concept yes. <laughs> art that looked beautiful. You know, and and like you said there was there was also other attractions that were planned for the Japanese pavilion that we didn't get not quite as maybe exciting as a Mount Fuji roller coaster but that you know we, we spoke offline about uh, the, the Meet the World show. Yeah, the Meet the World show um, was interesting because there was a, a book published by Abrams uh, the year Epcot opened. It was published in, I think, mid-1982, and it's kind of a, a among Epcot fans, it's kind of a, a golden holy grail kind of piece. Uh, people, if you're an Epcot fan, you go searching for it because it's long been out of print. And they, you know, when you're reading it, it was all pretty much production artwork behind the scenes. Here's what was going to be in it. And the Japan section just had this very extensive how this meet the world was going to be there and the interesting thing is is that it was basically the world meets japanese culture and then ironically it ends up going to tokyo disneyland (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) which i i didn't i didn't quite understand the logic and not having ever seen it or been to tokyo you know i'm sure it was fairly popular but it was just it was just an interesting kind of you know they stole mickey mouse review from us and now they took that as well <laughs> yeah i mean i'm i'm a huge fan of the japan pavilion to begin with and what i've seen from the concept art you know you actually walked through and under this tory gate and there was this giant what looked like a bullet train that was going to take you through this pavilion and, and trust me there there is plenty of room back there uh to have built this you know it, it may not look look at it uh, from the outside but um you know, there, there definitely was room there. Well, Lou, the interesting thing is, I mean, if I could, you know, hopefully I won't make a right turn too far here. But 
when you when you talked about Fuji and the, the whole situation with Japan, I, you bring up a very interesting dynamic that is somewhat unique to Epcot. That's not that doesn't quite apply to the other parks like MGM and the Magic Kingdom and Animal Kingdom. Is that Epcot was truly based on a World's Fair model. Um, if you know, I, I've done some pieces that compare it to the uh, 1939 World's Fair, and it was it's very much was on that mold of pavilions that were you know country pavilions or pavilions that were based on technologies but you know in the world's fair these pavilions were sponsored by by companies or or you know, or countries or states or whatever and that was the dynamic on which epcot was based and it's so dependent on sponsorship um, all of the attractions have sponsors every single attraction a major attraction in the park when it opened had a sponsor and even the countries the countries in effect sponsor their world showcase pavilions and when you talked about the money that is what was funding these things um, Epcot was built upon a lot of corporate sponsorship and so much then you know of the development at Epcot depended on whether those sponsorships came through or not and we don't know so much of the details of you know you know the example you gave with Fuji is a great example where you know kind of put it all together and figured out but you know why certain other attractions fall fell through could have been dealing with a lot of corporate and you know international sponsorships falling through and I mean a classic example is the Russia pavilion you know that that never came to be primarily because you know Russia or the Soviet Union crumbled <laughs> <laughs> yeah attractions in Epcot probably not highest on the priority list at that yeah, time <laughs> no, right. so so yeah it's 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 an interesting thing is that you know you, you know you see expedition Everest open at Animal Kingdom well nobody's sponsoring it you know it's it's Disney. Disney Disney put it there. Disney sponsored it. You know, Le uh, Nemo and Friends at uh, the Seas. You know, Disney sponsoring it. There's no corporate name attached to it, and so you know, so much of the money that you know puts these um, things in place is so dependent on that corporate money. Well, you're 100% right, and that's really what sounded the death knell for the Africa Pavilion, because it, Disney not only had a problem getting corporate sponsors, but it really was because of the political climate at the time that did it, because the only corporate groups that were willing to come in and sponsor the pavilions were from South Africa. And Disney wanted nothing to do with the country at the time because apartheid was still in play and whatnot. But, you know, Disney was not going to fork over another $30 million to do it, but by the same token, not associate with themselves with, you know, with a, with a, uh, a nation that, that could have political ramifications later on. And, and, and it's interesting is I, I kind of, you know, in my mind, I try to you know make myself make, make myself feel better <laughs> by saying that you know when I'm in Animal Kingdom, I'm in I'm in you know in, in Harambe, I'm in the Africa Pavilion. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have Morocco. I mean, we have Morocco, yeah, which yeah. which is in Africa. You know, I think some people forget it. So <laughs> we do have an Africa Pavilion, but again, nothing like you know what we were going to have and and the multitude of attractions that were going to go in there. But let me kind of go back a little bit because I mentioned Kodak kind of getting in the way of the, the Mount Fuji. Uh, roller coaster coming through and you know they actually would have their hand in in not only putting the kind of kibosh on mount fuji but something else that i think a lot of people might not know about and has to do with epcot's you know probably most beloved character 
And uh, obviously, I'm talking about Figment. And this is kind of how the story goes is Tony Baxter, we all know the famed Imaginator, he is the guy that came up with this idea for a new character that would serve as the official mascot for, for basically Epcot, but certainly the new Imagination Pavilion, which was going to open uh, with the park. And the story goes that he was watching an episode of Magnum P.I., and, I, and I'm not making this up, but he came up with the idea of quantifying a figment of the imagination. He said he saw on the TV show that uh, Higgins was, was talking to Magnum and uh, something had just kind of torn up the grass. And he says, well, that's just a figment of your imagination. And he replied and said, well, figments don't eat grass. And obviously the light bulb goes off in his head. He, uh, he walks into imagining the during the next day and the idea of figment is born. But this is kind of how, interestingly, Kodak gets involved because Tony was a huge, huge fan of dragons. And that's how the idea of a dragon came to be. If you go to Disneyland Paris... Go to sleeping. Uh, go to the castle. You'll see the sleeping dragon animatronic. Well, that was all Tony's idea, and just evidencing his love of dragons. So, okay, you think of dragons. Obviously, the color that you think of is, please say green. Green. Thank you. <laughs> you know, think Pete's dragon. You know, green. So, so obviously, the 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 dragon that he came up with to serve as the mascot for imagination was going to be green. And he was going to have his big yellow eyes and horns of steel, blah, 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 blah. But wait a second. As we all know, he is purple and not green. And this is where Kodak got involved because Tony's dragon was going to be green and white, which would have, you know, they would have made great little plushes, but they were also the colors of Fuji. So, again, (laughs) no way Kodak was going to have their sponsored pavilion be, you know, uh, heralded by a a mascot that that was wearing the colors of their their number one corporate sponsor. So there goes the green, in comes purple and yellow, and, you know, obviously you get the rest. (laughs) But let's kind of, again, I I went off the beaten path just a little bit. Let's kind of head on back to World Showcase a little bit because I think there's some things that uh, you might find fascinating because there is another pavilion that was going to go in there that's not really talked about that's a, a lot, and that was a Scandinavian Showcase and this was another one of these things that was a done deal. Disney had a, a formal agreement with a company known as ScanShow AS, which was Scandinavian Showcase USA, which is a, di- a division of Norway's biggest construction company. Uh, Claude Coates, you know him as a, the imaginator who developed things, you know, the Haunted Mansion, Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, and someone else from the Show Design Project worked about five to six months on show concepts and they were going to really kind of combine all the cultures of Norway and Sweden and Denmark. And you're like saying, well, okay, well, we've got Norway, but this was going to be much, much larger and was also going to be located between France and the UK, which is obviously on the opposite side of where we see Norway now. And this was supposed to open in 1987. And again, we've got to just speculate that again, it was money and, and corporate issues that may have led to this pavilion's demise. But here's where I think things get really, really interesting, because this is a subject of much debate, uh, even today, and that has to do with, you know, Epcot and specifically World Showcase and kids and characters. And, uh, you know, if you think back to Epcot Center when it first opened, it was very, very different than even what we have now. There were no characters in the park at all. There was no Turtle Talk. There was no Figment. Uh, There was no... Mickey Mouse, certainly no Mickey Mouse. Uh, you know, it was very clear that they wanted the park to be separate and, and distinct from the Magic Kingdom. In fact, there weren't even things like Kid Cut Fun Stops. I mean, you would go to World Showcase, and there really was not a lot for kids to do, as opposed to now where I think there are actually some things to do that maybe people overlook. But anyway, you know, the, uh, the, the belief is that Epcot 
was supposed to be a place, you know, to learn and to discover and to, like you said, go through this, this uh, World's Fair type concept. But believe it or not, they really had intended World Showcase to be much more appealing to children. And these, this is something that, that I really haven't heard um, many other places, but I did get this from somebody who was very much a part of the creation of Epcot. And I'm going to give you two examples of the Epcot that never was that almost came to be. And the first was going to be in Italy, where we were going to get a full-blown Pinocchio village. There's going to be shows, attractions, possibly a restaurant. It was going to be kind of, you know, Pinocchio's daring journey from Disneyland, but, you know, plus a hundred times over. Uh, and it was supposed to open, you know, with Epcot. And again, why it actually never came to be, we don't know. Um, Pinocchio's Daring Journey opened a year later. So you have to think some of the, maybe the technologies or ideas that didn't go into Epcot may have been brought over um, to Disneyland instead. Yeah, there's, there's um, a natural fit there. And, it's in, in a, and as I told you before, when you, you, you told me about this, I had no idea. This was clearly some, some information that really hasn't made the rounds. Yeah, there was going to be, I mean, you were going to basically, the, the, the theming of Italy was going to be very different. It was going to be very themed to Tuscany, but there was going to be a whole tobacco road area. You were going to have an attraction with Stromboli. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a picture up in the show notes of an overhead view from Google Earth of the Italy Pavilion. So you can get an idea of really how much room there is there uh, and, and you know, the, the amount of space they had to work with that would have fit into what I consider to be one of the most beautiful pavilions uh, in World Showcase. The other character-based attraction really obviously geared towards kids that never made it in was over at the United Kingdom where there was plans for an Alice in Wonderland attraction. You were going to follow the white rabbit hole down, you know, the rabbit hole, and there was going to be this full-blown, big-scale attraction. Again, maybe like Disneyland, maybe like something more. Again, this was one that supposedly had all the show elements in place. The concepts were done closer than we may have thought, but for one reason or another, never made it into that pavilion. Or the Magic Kingdom, for that matter. Yeah, and that's really interesting, Lou, because it it never, again, that was something that was new to me when you told me about it, and it was so off the radar that even in the development of Epcot, you know, when we were talking about, you know, going back and, and seeing plans for Meet the World of Japan and seeing plans for the River Ride and Germany, nothing is mentioned for the United Kingdom. I mean, when you go through, it seemed like there, it was always just some shops and some restaurants, <laughs> and there really wasn't anything more to it. And I was always even just a little bit disappointed that, you know, I really love the atmosphere of the United Kingdom, but beyond just the street performers, there's just not a whole lot there, you know, especially now, you know, they do the Beatles mm-hmm. impersonators, you know, back in the back end there. But it just seemed like, you know, for as rich a history as you have with the United Kingdom, there, there could have been something, you know, developed. <laughs> right. And again, you know, you have to wonder, did it come down to a money issue? Did it come down to a time issue? Did it come down to a corporate sponsorship issue? We don't know. But I think that the really interesting thing is that, you know, one of the complaints still to this day about Epcot and World Showcase is that it's not necessarily geared towards kids and there isn't anything for kids to do save for the Kidcot Fun Stops, for example, in World Showcase. And the, bringing characters in to Epcot as a whole when clearly at the beginning that was part of the concept. They had plans to bring in characters into Epcot and specifically World Showcase. Yeah, and the interesting thing too is it, you know, when, they, when it opened that first year, they had characters. Um, they just weren't Disney characters, you know, traditional Disney characters. They, 
it, you know, whatever, all I've read is that how, you know, they wanted so much for Epcot to have its own identity. And so that was one of the reasons why characters weren't brought in, um, like Mickey and Minnie. They, they really wanted Epcot to stand alone as a totally separate entity from the Magic Kingdom without people really comparing the two. And they succeeded. And, and interestingly enough, you know, you had Figment, as you mentioned, and, but they had other characters. They had the Kitchen Cabaret characters. And, you know, they were the cute, fun, kind of kid-friendly characters. And interesting, you know, they, they, those guys, you know, Bonnie Appetit, um, all the different animatronics, they were marketed. Um, if you went into the Epcot souvenir shops back then, you had merchandise for these characters. They had plush. You know, you, Figment literally was all over the Centorium in those early mm-hmm. days. So it wasn't necessarily that there was this against the concept of characters. It was just initially trying to just establish that separate identity from the traditional, you know, Fab Five, Mickey, you know, Pluto the princesses, you know, that's where I think they were really trying to make the distinction and give it a uniqueness. Yeah, so, I mean, like you said, not only with the characters, but, you know, the the lack of attractions in Future World, we, we you know we just touched on some of the things that, that could have been built and should have been built. You know, there was even going to be a flying carpet attraction in a Venezuela p- pavilion. Uh, you know, we, we didn't even talk about the Rhine River attraction that we've mentioned in the past, that was going to be built in Germany. And if you walk by Germany, you can see the show building for it is there. Uh, If you're looking at the Germany pavilion, look to the left. There's two giant uh, doors that actually lead to a show building that's now used for storage and uh, rehearsals and things like that. But that was going to be a Rhine River cruise. And, And there was talk about it as early as 1976 in the annual reports where there was concept art and they talked about how you're going to be going down you know the Rhine River and the 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 Isar River and they're going to have really a a tour of Germany again not characters but again one of the things that people look for another ride in World Showcase yeah was there was there not something beyond the movie also planned for France as well I might be confusing it you know, it has to make you lead you to think that, especially because of the space allotted to these pavilions. Right. There was either more on the drawing board that never came to be, or they just wanted to give them enough space to add something else to it beyond just a film kind of showcasing the country. And it's and to a certain degree, it's a shame. You know, there, there was uh, a rumor for a number of years, uh, maybe two, three years ago, about a Brother Bear log flume attraction coming over to Canada. And that, you know, made its way around the Internet ten times over. And it still kind of rears its head every now and then um, about building something like that there, especially since people complain that you can see the Soren show building from Canada. They feel yeah, like that's ex- if you build yeah, a Yeah, that's mountain. exactly what I was about to say is the, when I first heard that rumor, it was strictly in relation to someone saying they needed to cover up the back end of that because it was destroying the wonderful view of the Rocky uh, Canadian Rockies that had been established. Yeah, I'm not so sure a $100 million, you know, <laughs> mountain is the way to, right, <laughs> to, to block the view of the Soren building. But, um, you know, again, it's very interesting to kind of, uh, you know, look back and see, like I said, the Epcot that never was or the Epcot that could have been, the World Showcase that could have been, and you wonder if any of these things are eventually going to come to pass, uh, maybe not in their original form. There is a lot of space still in World Showcase. I'm sure if you've walked the promenade, you see the gaps, especially, again, where Equatorial Africa is. Right now, they kind of have that little outpost there that sells um, Africa, you know, merchandise and, and souvenirs and things like that. That's a huge, huge stretch of land. And, and again, I'll try and put a picture up an overhead map where you can go to someplace like Google Earth and do an overhead map of World Showcase. And you can see the amount of real estate that's back there. Um, so, so the possibilities for expansion are definitely there. 
I think things are going to happen. I'm, 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 I'm optimistic. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm going to put you on the spot just, just very quickly. You know, again, that the big debate has been the the bringing of characters into Epcot or not bringing characters into Epcot. Where where do you stand? Do you mind? You know, that the three caballeros in in Mexico that just opened last week. You know, the the, the concepts that we talked about today. Do you like it? Do you not like it? Do you, do you are you stuck on World Showcase being nothing but a a um, a World's Fair type atmosphere? I'm I'm I don't. I'm very gray on it, and it's it's almost it's 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 case by case for me. Um, since I started my blog back in the fall, um, I've engaged in this debate, and very specifically, I got very involved in the debate over the three caballeros. And um, when the three caballeros were announced, um, I was very um, enthusiastic about it. Um, but again, if any of my blog readers know, I'm a huge, huge. Disney animation fan, especially going back into the 30s and 40s. Um, so anything relating to that, you know, those characters in that time period. And what the reason I like the Three Caballeros is because the Three Caballeros, as the movie originally was conceived and as it originally came to be, was all about um, ambassadorship. Um, these these guys, these characters, were ambassadors. They were goodwill ambassadors, and they were showing you these countries that they came from, Brazil, um, Mexico, South America. And so when so many people just got outraged about the three caballeros, what did the three caballeros have to do with Mexico? There was so much misinformation. In fact, you know, the, the, the title of my article that I wrote was The Caballeros in the Age of Misinformation. And they were just totally just getting the facts wrong about so much of what the three caballeros were, what the movie was about, how it came to be made. And it was a movie that, you know, the government um, came to Walt Disney and said, you know, we're trying to, you know, combat the influence of Germany and South America. Could you help us out with some, you know, some movies or whatever? And Walt went on a goodwill tour, just kind of as a goodwill tour in that regard, you know, representing, you know, the United States. And, you know, it, you can't get into too detail because you could spend a lot of time just talking about the movie and how it came to be made. But, what I liked was the fact that that's what World Showcase is all about. Um, that is what the Mexico Pavilion was all about. It was about, you know, this is what, you know, showing the world what our country is about. And so to me, it was a bit of a, a good fit. I mean, these characters were doing this 50 years ago. Now they're going to do it again. And so in that regard, I liked the idea. You know, and, I, you know the, the attraction just opened, and I haven't had the pleasure of seeing it yet. But I've talked to one other person who um, I've gotten pretty good friends with who does another blog. And she just recently saw it, and she is also, like myself, a big Three Caballeros fan. And she thought it was very well done. She thought the animation was very, very good. And she thought they did a very good job of integrating it, but still keeping a degree of the whole, you know, what the River of Time, El Rio Tiempo was about, kind of, but just plussing it and just adding a much more high-energy element to it. And, you know, the, re the River of Time was not one of my favorite attractions at Epcot. It was a fun little ride, but it was clearly sort of, you know, I guess a C attraction. Would you classify it as a C? Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe a good D, you know. And and so in that regard, it, it, it was old. It was very outdated. Um, it needed a lot of work. So, like I said, in context, it fit. Nemo and Friends, for instance, um, the, the C's with Nemo and Friends, I'm a little, you know, I, it, it's interesting because I have to, I have to you know, put it um, in context to I love the attraction. I think the attraction is a wonderful dark ride type attraction. It's 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 a lot of fun. Technology's great. 
you know, the integration of the, you know, them being projected into the, the actual tank. It's all very wonderful, and on that level, it's enjoyable. But it just doesn't fit on a level for me, <laughs> you know, as to, you know, what, you know, you had Seabase Alpha that, you know, very, all the attractions in World Showcase, or Future World, excuse me, were very, you know, future-themed, you know, this is what the world is going to be, in, in a lot of regards, with Horizons, with Living Seas, um, Spaceship Earth kind of giving you that feel. And so, that just kind of throws me. So, it's, it's kind of a weird, that's kind of a weird juxtaposition. The only other example I, I, I like to cite is, and it's a very minor one, and unfortunately now you can't even get to see it, is in Wonders of Life there was Goofy over health. And, and, and really, that was one of, I think, the very first times a character came in Epcot. You can mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not, right. I've, I can't really think of somebody that was like a primary Disney character that came in Epcot before that particular attraction. In an attraction, for sure, yeah. Yeah, and, and to me, again, going back to Goofy, the Goofy cartoons of the 1940s and 1950s where Goofy was this every man, you know, you had Goofy as a father, Goofy as a teacher, you know, Goofy is, you know, no, Goofy's trying to lose weight, Goofy's trying to quit smoking. It was just a perfect fit. This is what Goofy was doing back in the 40s and 50s in his cartoons. So as a very lightweight, you know, kind of, you know, pavilion type little, you know, interactive thing, I loved it. I thought it was great. And it, it, it didn't detract from anything. It didn't so it's it's kind of like it just depends on the situation you know if, if it's creatively done and it kind of if they work with the theme like I think the three caballeros do um, I think it's a good fit yeah I, I agree with you I think you made a lot of valid points and you know the some people are, are are hardcore purists and think future world should stay future world and and you know stay true to its name much like they feel about tomorrowland although we've kind of delved into that in the past but I would like people to weigh in both on Bringing the characters into Epcot, you know, especially in light of what we talked about today, uh, what do you think about the future of Epcot and World Showcase? You know, do you, do you, what would you, what do you foresee? What would you like to see? And what do you think about the Epcot that never was? Some of the things that we talked about, are these things that you would have liked to have seen brought in? Uh, how really would that have changed the dynamic of World Showcase and Epcot as a whole? Uh, you know, please let us know, you know, talk about it over at the forums at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. Uh, call the voicemail with your opinions at 206-202-4WDW or send me an email to lou at wdwradio.com. I'm going to put links up in the show notes over at wdwradio.com to uh, some of the things that we talked about, to Jeff's blog, a uh, number of other articles that we've talked about um, in this episode. Jeff, thank you very much again. I think this was great. It's a lot of fun. And again, Jeff is going to come back with me some more. We're going to talk more about other Epcot attractions and some of that lost Epcot from the past, celebrating Epcot's 25th approaching later on this year. Always a pleasure, Lou. Glad to, have, glad to be here. Glad you had me. Okay, it's time to announce the answers and winner from our very first Where in the World Have You Heard This contest. On show number seven, back on March 25th of this year, I played you 10 quick clips from uh, attractions and shows and different places in and around Walt Disney World. I asked you to identify them in order for a chance to win a prize package, which included books, t-shirts, lanyards, backpacks, and so much more from me and, the fr and our friends at The Magic for Less Travel. 
The contest ended on Sunday, April 8th at 11.59 p.m. And I want to thank all of you for submitting all of your entries. I will make one note that uh, I did receive a number of emails after the deadline had passed saying that people weren't quite caught up with the show yet, didn't really have time to get their entries in. So for the next Where in the World contest, I will extend it more than just the two weeks. I apologize for that. But for those of you that did send the entries in, Thank you. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you had fun with it. So let's, before I announce the winner, let me go ahead. I'm going to play the clips in order, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to extend the clips out a little bit so you have a chance to really identify what these are. This clip comes from the now extinct Share a Dream Come True Parade over at the Magic Kingdom. We're up to Neverland! Also from another extinct attraction, this one comes from the extraterrestrial alien encounter. Welcome to the universe of XS. You're about to experience the latest scientific wonder brought to you by XS Tech, the galaxy's leader in innovative high technology. But first, let me share with you the fascinating story of our company. Here's one of the tricky ones. This one was from the Sci-Fi Dine-In Theater over at the Disney MGM Studios. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater, where you will see the finest motion pictures of all time soon to be released. Drama, comedy, adventure, excitement, something for everyone. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. Another extinct attraction, this time from Epcot. This is the Astuter Computer Review, and it's a very, very noteworthy theme song. Nothing is astuter than a computer when I need a helping hand. Let me explain. They keep on top of accommodations, record and update reservations, coordinate telephone operations, and help plan energy conservation. They're really a great financial device. Payroll service is kept precise. They project attendance, then give advice on personnel, food, and merchandise. They're constantly focusing all their attention on matters of safety and fire prevention. They've given efficiency new dimension with numerous examples too many to mention. <sighs> And that's why I'm a router for me computer. Everybody needs a friend. One of my favorites, a true classic. This one is obviously from the Carousel of Progress. Now is the time. Now is the best time. Now is the best time of your life. Life is a prize with every minute. This clip featuring the original character voiceover artist comes from Circle of Life, an environmental fable. This comes from the Land Pavilion over at Epcot. What's with all the construction? Well, your royaliciousness, we are developing Hakuna Matata Lakeside Village. So no problems, no worries, home of the good life. Phase one, we've dammed the stream to create the biggest lake on the savannah. But guys, the animals downstream need water too. Hey, if they need water, they can move to Hakuna Matata Village. <laughs> I think I'd better tell you a story about another creature who's a lot like you. You mean perfect? Hot ripped and buffed? Uh, no. I mean a creature who sometimes forgets how everything is connected in the great circle of life. 
This is the theme song from the extinct Doug Live attraction, also at the Disney MGM Studios. One of my favorite narrations from any attraction in Walt Disney World. This one comes from the Liberty Square Riverboat. Mark four, deep four, ocean deep. Mark four, engine room ahead three quarters. Stand by. Steady as she goes. Captain... Welcome aboard the Liberty Bell. I'm your captain. This is the voice of Corey Burton over at Cranium Command at the now, possibly extinct, Wonders of Life Pavilion in Epcot. All right, you pitiful, self-pitied, sad sacks, eyes front, and listen up. I'm your commanding officer, General Knowledge. And it's my job to turn you mealy mouth meatheads into a crack squadron of Cranium Commandos. Your job, if you can cut it, will be to run the most sophisticated information system ever devised. The human brain. You, there in the back, suck in that gun and wipe that smile off your face. The brain is serious business. Finally, this comes from the successor to If You Had Wings. This is Delta's Dream Flight, which occupied the space now inhabited by Buzz Lightyear's Space Ranger Spin. Once you've taken a dream flight, the fantasy flight of your life. Once you've taken a dream flight, the Earth's an inspiring sight. There's adventure, there is romance, a passport to dreams old and new. For you, we created this dream. I was really impressed at how well so many of you did on this contest. Thank you again for playing. I thought some of these were going to be trickier than I thought, but it seems like you guys really had a good time playing with it. So, our first winner is Daniel Wanderman. His name was drawn randomly from the entries that did have the most number of correct answers. Daniel, if you email me and send me all of your information, I will get you that prize package out. Again, look for more contests coming soon. I'm actually planning something very special that I hope to announce within the next coming weeks or months, so definitely stay tuned for that. That is going to wrap up another episode of the WDW Radio Show. I want to thank my special guests, Mike Scopa, Steve Tiki Mansifert, Jeff Pepper from 2719hyperion.blogspot.com, and Jonathan Intro Guy Dichter for his uh, intros again this week. You can visit his site at voiceofmousetunes.blogspot.com. I also want to thank, again, Dave Recchione for the WDW Radio theme song and everybody else who's written or called in and posted on the forums in support of the show. Don't forget that you can still come aboard and cruise on the Disney Magic with me and Margaret Tinkerbell Carey from November 3rd through the 10th, 2007. Staterooms are booking up fast. We have about 200 people so far joining us, 
and we have arranged with Disney some amazing special events on the ship and on Castaway Key, exclusive to our group. There's going to be surprises in your stateroom, contests, events for kids, games, and so much more, including the chance to win a $500 Disney gift card at the beginning of the voyage for anybody that books by June 1st. There's a limited availability of staterooms. They start as low as about $1,043 per person, double occupancy. That includes your cruise, the port, governmental fees. For more information, come on over to WDWRadio.com. You can find the cruise link right there for more information and a free no-obligation quote. Speaking of the show notes page, many of you have asked where they are. Well, that is over at WDWRadio.com. You can find on the homepage a link to this week's show notes as well as past episodes. There you can find more information, images, and links to other articles and sites about some of the topics we discuss on this and past shows. While you're there, head on over to the Magic for Less Travel for all your Disney vacation planning needs and questions. Their services are completely free, and they have specially discounted Magic Your Way packages exclusive to their company. Thanks again to the entire Magic for Less Travel team for supplying our prizes for this week's Where in the World Have You Heard This contest. On the show notes page, you can also visit other friends of the show, including other podcasts, blogs, and websites. You can find their links on that page as well. And don't forget that this show is meant to be interactive, so email me your questions, comments, or ideas to lou at wdwradio.com. Call the voicemail anytime at 206-202-4WDW with anything from trip reports to hellos from the parks, feedback, anything you want. And of course, please come by the forums at disneyworldtrivia.com to talk with other leader, listeners and readers about the show. It's fun. It's free. We'd love you to come by and be a member of what we consider to be the happiest forums on earth. On upcoming shows, I have more trivia, news, and special guests, including someone that many of you have asked to hear from. I'll also be taking more trips back to Walt Disney World's past in my Walt Disney World Wayback Machine as we continue in our Epcot retrospective as well as other topics, explore the next in the seven wonders of Walt Disney World, have more contests, interviews, best of the best, and so much more. If you have an idea for the show, let me know. And speaking of which, I'll also feature a few listener-submitted segments over the next few weeks as well. So thank you all for tuning in this week. I hope you're enjoying the show and having as much fun as I am, minus editing until 3 o'clock in the morning. So have a great week. See ya!